Tonight, we'll continue our series, and it's called Matters of the Mind. We started it some long time ago, and I tried to make the case that the Bible makes the case that our thought life is really the root of all else. Our emotions and our behaviors flow from the quality of our thought life. And therefore, what we think bears perhaps closer examination than you and I are prone to give it. So we want to continue talking about what goes on in here, in this marvelous organ called the brain. What is happening? What are you thinking about? Generally speaking, many of us are prone to troubled thinking. In Hebrew or Yiddish, we have a word called tsuris. Tsuris is aggravation, anxiety. It is worry. When you are uh, one who's experiencing tsuris, it means you're not, you're not having a good, healthy thought life. And if that's you, you wouldn't be alone. Maybe there are depressing thoughts and worrisome thoughts and uh, discouragement and self-doubt and condemnation and thoughts of hopelessness and worthlessness and all the rest. If that's you now or from time to time, do you realize you're not alone? And not only that, do you realize when others uh, before you have experienced troublesome thoughts and when they have cried out to Almighty God, the Creator, for help, do you know they have received it? And that's not a very uh, complex statement, but it's profound in its simplicity. You need help. I need help with our troublesome thought life. We ought to give God who created us, including the marvelous gift of the mind, we ought to give him an opportunity to straighten it out. And so there was someone, I recall, in the Bible who was really, really troubled by very, very distressing thoughts. And he expressed them quite honestly. And so his experience is recorded for us in the Bible. It's in Psalm 119. And I just want to call your attention to a few of those verses so that we could get a glimpse at this troubled songwriter's life experience. That's what he was. He, The psalmist wrote this as a song. It was really a lament. Psalm 119, would you take a gander at verse 145 and then 146 and then 147. A lot of verses. It's the longest a chapter, if you will, in the entire Bible, Psalm 119. I'd like you to take a quick uh, a glance at those three verses and tell me if you could see something that is repeated in all three. has to do with action this troubled individual took. What is it? Just yell it out. First one to get it. Yes, he cried. Look, he cried and he cried. And he cried again. And the reason he did is that he hurt this honest, troubled writer cried because he was pained by what was going on in his head. Life's circumstances were troublesome and he was not processing them in a good way. He did not have peace. He did not have joy. And it would not go away. The pain persisted, and so did 
his cry for help. So three times in the space of three verses, we see this continuous activity. He cried, he cried, he cried again. And you know, it doesn't make sense to do that. If you're crying out to someone when you're troubled, if you're crying out to someone who doesn't care, that would not make sense. Or if you're crying out to someone who may care, but who has very, very limited ability to help you, that too may perhaps not be a very logical thing to do. But what if you directed your heart cry to the one who not only cared, but who was infinitely able to assist, to set you free, to lend assistance, that that would be a very rational thing to do. The psalmist was troubled and confused, but he had this straight. He knew that if he ordered his cry to Almighty God, that would make sense. Because he, his cry would be heard by one who cared and by one who had infinite capability to help. And that's what he did. So you can see in Psalm 100, in verse 145, his statement, answer me, look, O Lord, and then again in verse 146, I cried to you. No, he, he didn't utter his cry to the cosmos, to the, to the force, to some mystical black hole out there. No, he directed his uh, petition, his emotionally charged, desperate cry for help. To a personal deity who, though he be transcendent, also is Emmanuel, the God who came near, the God who the psalmist knew himself was acquainted with grief, the God who cared, the God who demonstrated it, and the God who had the capacity to relieve his agony. After all, this is the God who, in the very power of his words, created all things, spoke them into existence. And so the psalmist cries out to this God, do you realize what a blessing it is to know who to go to for help? Do you realize? Slow down for a second. Do you realize what a bless, just that, do you realize what a blessing it is to know where to go for help? Do you know the vast majority of people in our world are confused about it? They seem to be looking for clarity in all the wrong places. The psalmist, though troubled, at least knew where to take his trouble. And so he cried out to Almighty God. Now I'd like you to notice, he hurt in his head, I have to tell you this. And I'd like you to notice what was behind uh, his cry. What did he want, really? How did he seek to persuade God, if you will, to heed his cry for peace, for joy, for clarity? Uh, notice verse 145 a little more closely. Uh, I cried with all my heart. Answer me, O Lord. I will observe your statutes. And then notice the next verse, some, uh, uh, verse 146. I cried to you, save me. Notice, 
And I shall keep your testimonies. That's Hebrew parallelism. He's essentially saying the same thing in different words in both verses. He's saying this, if I could put words in the psalmist's mouth. He's saying I'm distressed. In fact, I'm desperate. I don't think I'm going to make it. I belong to you. I'm privy to the covenant. I'm betrothed. It's like weddedness. You're as a father to me and I a child. And none of it, none of it is all that meaningful to me right now. I hurt too much. Pain is in the way. I'm distracted by grief. Yeah, in my head, I understand. Obviously, I know who you are and what you're all about. Look who I'm talking to. But I'm having a crisis of emotion right now. And it is really diminishing my capacity to lay hold of you and all of the benefits that come from doing so. So he says, but God, hear my cry. If you intervene, if you save me, from the distress, I will then be able to live in a way that's more consistent with your statutes and ordinances. There are promises in your word. I can't lay hold of them. There's too much confusion in my mind. There's too much surus. There's too much aggravation. There's too much anxiety. There's too much depression. Oh, God. I cry out, I continuously cry to you, I know where to go for help. If you are to help me, God, I'm not making a deal with you, God, don't misunderstand. I'm telling you, this will be the outcome of your intervention. If you intervene and straighten me out so that I can have a measure of clarity and peace in my head, God, then I'll be able to live more fully the reality of what your word has to say. He's saying, God, I value your word. I respect it. I don't question it and I don't deny it. I just can't appropriate it all right now. I'm too messed up. Now, some of you have no clue as to what I'm talking about. Great. Others do. Yeah. Others do. I'm so messed up. I'm reading the words, but I can't attach them. They're not sticking. I'm not questioning them. I'm not questioning you. It's me that's the problem. I can't assimilate. I can't integrate. I can't apply. I can't. It's not sticking in my head because my head is filled with too much. God, if you clear it up, and only you can. If you resolve the pain, the grief, the worry, that whatever it is, God, then I'll be able to observe your statutes. I'll be able to live out to a far greater degree the evidence of your testimonies, of your word. Help me, he cries, so that I can live more fully for you. Help me so that I can serve you more fully. Help me so that I can grow so as to be more like you. Help me and I will observe your statutes and keep your testimonies. I ask you a rhetorical question. Don't you think God will hear and answer a prayer like that? The distressed psalmist did not cry out continually, Oh, God, make me happy. 
He said, oh God, make me functional. Make me able to function more to your glory. I'm not able to. I'm handicapped emotionally in my thought life. Oh God, I'm not asking for happiness as an end in itself. Oh no, I want some measure of redemption of my thought life. Some measure of liberation from bondage. So that I could be greater evidence of you, the God of all hope, to a watching world. So in distress, he cries out to God, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. Save me. You know, the number one thing you and I need to be saved from is sin. This, if you're a Christian, Jesus has done. He's the Savior from sin. But having been saved from sin through faith in the Savior, we still need saving from other things. Did you know that? Do you know we still need to be saved from a host of things that spiritually diminish our effectiveness in shining forth the glory of the Savior? I know this is the case because the world is filled with Christians who don't seem like they're shining for Christ very much. So we have to be saved from, don't we, despondency? Don't we have to be saved from discouragement? Don't we have to be saved from cynicism, from hopelessness? Don't we have to be saved from depression, from anxiety, from worry? Don't we have to be saved from wrong attitudes? Don't we have to be saved from pride? Don't we have to be saved from laziness, from slothfulness? <laughs> Don't we have to be saved from, from misunderstandings? Don't we have to be saved from feelings of worthlessness, from self-condemnation? Don't we have to be saved from temptation? Are you kidding? We do. So you see, we have to be saved from a whole host of things which keep us from two things, being fully sanctified and being fully able to serve, two S's. And so the psalmist says, oh, God, deliver me, save me from all this trouble between my ears so that I can more fully participate in the process of sanctification and so that I could more fully serve you with effectiveness. So... When we hurt, when you hurt, I hurt in our heads, and it happens all the time. Uh, some of us are not too prone to admit it, but it's a fairly common malady growing today in this day of unsettledness. All kinds of stuff swirling around in our heads. And so when we're troubled in our thinking, do you know we can confidently do what the psalmist did? We can cry out for, or, or to God for help. We can say, help me, oh God. Why? So that I can be more like you and so that I could serve you more. I just, I just don't, it's not just about being happy. No, no, no. Oh God, I want to be free as the means to the end of glorifying you more in the world until you return for me. So we cry out to God not just to be happy, but to be saved from those things which hinder our sanctification and our service. Save me, the writer says, and I shall keep your testimonies. Do you notice the brevity of his petition? 
save me. That's it. But it's power packed. This is very liberating. Do you know there are times when you can't collect yourself enough to say more? So you just cry out, save me. From what? Fill in the blank. Save me. You who have saved me already from the penalty of sin. You who are in the process of saving me from the presence of sin and its power. Oh God, save me from, then you state the rest. Save me from fear. Save me from depression. Save me from self-loathing. Save me from thoughts of rejection. Save me from paranoia. Save me from hopelessness. Save me from all that which keeps me from being effective. The other night I had a phone conversation with someone and I did not want to have a phone conversation with that person. There was nothing wrong with the person. The problem was me. I was limited. I was tired, disgusted, hungry, confused about this person's presenting problem, fed up. Yeah, look at that. What an admission for a minister. Uh, but it's true. And I couldn't say too much because I was listening to the person doing most of the talking. And I remembered this psalmist's cry. And I just was able silently to utter the words, Oh God, save me from these (laughs) terrible limitations which keep me from wanting to be in conversation with this person for whom you suffered and died. Oh, God, I'm not you. I don't have infinite potential. I'm not unlimited. You neither slumber nor sleep. I'm tired. You don't get fed up. I is. You don't get confused. I don't know where to start with this lady. And I don't want to. Oh, God. Save me from an uncaring attitude. Save me from a hardened heart. Save me, save me, save me. He did. Don't you think he'd hear a cry? Oh, God, save me. Not so that I would be happy. Save me so that I could be of service. Save me so that I could represent you better than I feel able to right now. You've saved me from sin. It's a done deal. I am sure but I still need to be saved from a whole host of other things that keep me from full sanctification and that keep me from meaningful service. Oh, God, save me. Don't you think he did? Don't you think he enabled me uh, to have something to say in the conversation that was a little more representative of a loving and caring and gracious divine counselor? Don't you think? Of course. Don't you think our Father would hear a prayer like that? So look at the breath. Save me. That's all. This was the troubled psalmist's cry, you see, to God. But having cried out to God, he did something else. He then readied himself to hear from God. Don't you see? Crying out to God is part A. Listening is part B. This he did. Notice verse 147. I rise before dawn. That's early. And I cry. For help. And I wait for your words. This is how this troubled writer began his day. He began his day by 
crying out to God in prayer and by searching the scriptures for words of consolation. I don't have anything profound to say. I hope just an encouragement by way of reminder. Folks, we cry out to God and then we sit at his feet by opening up the Bible and letting him use it, it being living and active, to address our cry for help. So if you or I cut ourselves off from either of those two marvelous blessings, crying out to God in prayer, hearing from God in the word, we're not going to make it. We're not, don't make it complicated here. It's prayer and it's the word of God. The psalmist knew this. And so he got up. No, he didn't get up in the morning. He got up before the day. He rose before dawn, it looked like, to cry out to God. Listen, he's a Jewish guy, the psalmist. So I'll tell you about, the, about us, us Jewish people. We have formal times of prayer, three times a day. We've got morning, afternoon, and evening prayer times. That, they're very cool things. That's a good deal. But the psalmist said, I'm not waiting for the formal prayer time to cry out to God. I hurt before dawn. I can't wait for the congregation to be officially assembled before I access the Creator. And he knew he didn't have to. That's what it is to be in a personal covenant relationship with Almighty God. He could be accessed at any time. You're not waiting for Sunday to get your needs met, are you? Jesus is available Tuesday morning. So the psalmist, not only did the psalmist not wait for the three formal times of prayer in the day, he didn't even wait for the sun to rise. He got up and cried out to God before dawn. He was so intent on hearing from God. You know what he did? He couldn't wait for the night time. So that he could undistractedly meditate on God's word. This is a busy character. So too are you and I. Don't be so busy that you don't set aside time, undistraction. I'm not talking about, you know, cell phones and things in your ear and computer emails. I'm talking about a time when we do nothing but wait on God. Pour over the word of God so that he can soothe our hurting Minds. So the psalmist did this. Uh, some, uh, or verse 148. Look, my eyes anticipate the night watches. See, that, that's, that's when it's quiet. That's when things slowed down. That's when he could be free from distraction. He was looking forward to this time. Why? That I may meditate on your word. Could I ask you this not so complex question? Do you have a time? In the day or night when it's just you and God in his open word. You've opened up your heart. You've cried out to him. Now are you ready to open up your mind to what he has to say? I have to tell you, if you're just waiting for Sunday to be fed, you are spiritually malnourished. You have to eat every day. You can't have a big feast on Sunday only, nothing the other six days, and expect to be spiritually nourished. And so he began his day with a heart cry. And he finished his day with undistracted attention 
to the word of he laid aside everything else so that he could meditate on the word of God. See, he was troubled before dawn and into the night, but he knew there were no hours of day or night during which his God could not be spoken to or heard from. He didn't wait for the formal times of corporate congregating. He accessed his healer personally. But wait, 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 wait. I know something about the psalmist and so do you. He was filled with flaws. I mean some big time transgression. What if he got really in touch with his flaws? And after crying out to God, heard himself saying in his head, whoops, he's not going to listen to me. I know what I'm made of. I know my inadequacies, my deficiencies, my flaw. I know my sins. God is not going to hear from me. I'll bet you he thought about this. And therefore, this is what he said in verse 149. He said, hear my voice. Look, according to your loving kindness. Oh, man. Hear my voice, not according to my virtue, not according to my promises, not according to my obedience or the absence thereof, not according to any good thing dwelling in me, not according to my heritage, not according to anything. Hear my voice according to your loving... You know what he said? Lord, I have something to say to you. Will you hear? Surely you will. In accordance with your loving kindness. You are loving. Therefore, you will be loving to me. I can't tell you how striking this is. Do you realize his, your, my anguished cry to God rests on his loving kindness? And since it is unceasing... We could have assurance that our heart cry to Almighty God will always be heard. When God hears prayer, according to his loving kindness, he overlooks all the imperfections of the one doing the praying. Therein lies the assurance that he hears and will answer. Revive me, he goes on to say, O Lord, according to your ordinances. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. Do it according to your will. Do it according to the promises in, of your word. Do it scripturally, absolutely. But God, revive me. You know what he's saying? I have life. Give me more. Revive me. Spiritual life. He's saying I have spiritual life. It was birthed in me. I'm part of the covenant relationship. But oh, God. I need more strength in my life. I'm overloaded with life's burdens. Revive me. You know what someone said? In order to be revived, you have to first be vived. Not actually a word, but a very true statement. You are vived when you are born again. It's new life in Christ. But many of us. Do you mind me saying most of us? Do you mind me saying, do you mind me saying all of our churches who have been vived today more than ever, it seems to me, myself included, stand very much in need of being revived. 
resuscitated. We have life in Christ, but it seems to be diminished because of life's circumstances. So then, he's crying out, God, bring life back to me. Bring joy back to me. Bring peace back to me. Revive me is what he's saying. So, so when your mind is troubled, just a few concluding thoughts. Let's do what he did. Cry, cry and keep crying. But be sure you're crying out to the one who cares and the one who is able to help. Secondly, be sure to let him know that when he grants peace and freedom, when he saves you, me, from what is holding us back, make sure to let him know your desire behind it all is so that you may be freer to observe his statutes, to obey him, to live for him, to manifest him even more. And remember that your crying out to God is always based on one thing, his loving character, not your merits or mine whatsoever. And finally, when you cry out to him, be sure to ask him to revive you. If you're a saved one, you can do this. You have life. Ask him for more of it. Ask him for it to be resuscitated. Ask him to revive you. You've been given life in Christ. But let's be honest. Oftentimes the quality of it has been diminished by the world's worries or by sin or by the news (laughs) or by church people. Let's face it. We get on each other from time to time. So sometimes the life of Christ in us really needs to be resuscitated. We need to be revived. It's been diminished. Tell him you want to be resuscitated so as to live more fully for him, so as to represent him more clearly. Don't make it complicated. Don't look for help in all the wrong places. He can use anyone and he can use anybody. But let's not go to everyone and everybody and leave him out. Start the day with a heart cry. Make sure part of the day is invested in undistracted pouring, reflection, meditate, chewing on the scriptures. Words of hope, words of direction, words of affirmation, words of encouragement, words of consolation. Don't you think the Savior intends to save us from all that which keeps us from representing him fully? He's the light of the world. He wants the light to show through us. Right? Let your light so shine before men that they may see. What are they seeing when our lights are dimmed by a troubled mind? Don't you think God will save us from it if we cry out to him for it? Of course he will. Here's what we ought to do. We ought to finish tonight by memorizing a verse of scripture as has been our fashion. It's easy to do. Then you can take it and you can chew on it. Instead of being troubled by all manner of things, uh, you can feast on this particular verse. Let's do uh, Psalm 119, verse 149. One verse, not all the hundred and I think 76 verses in the psalm. Just one, 149. Here we go. I'll say a phrase. You'll repeat it after me and then we'll add to it. Let me see if I could get this. 
Hear my voice. Would you repeat that? Hear my voice. That's good. Now I'll add to it. According to your loving kindness. Would you say that? According to your loving kindness. Now let's link it together both. Hear my voice. According to your loving kindness. One more. Revive me, O Lord. Say that. Revive me, O Lord. Let's do it all. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Would you say that? According to your ordinances. Now let's see if we can get it all together. This is Psalm 119. What verse? 149. Here we go. Hear my voice. According to your loving kindness, revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinance. Lord, that is our prayer. It's not uniquely the psalmist's experience that led to its utterance. His is a shared human experience. We will refuse to be ashamed of trouble. It comes emotional and otherwise. We will resist the temptation to be ashamed of it. And we'll say we're in pretty good company. We're like the psalmist. But we want to go all the way and be in your company to the extent the psalmist was as well. So we determine to cry, cry, and cry all the more for you simply to save us from that which diminishes the life which you have birthed in us. Our desire is not merely to be happy. That's a worldly kind of thing. It's fleeting. Depends on what happens. Oh, no. That's the best unsaved people could look for. But you promise us more. We want to be free. To grow. To be more like you. Free. So as to serve you more. Therefore, we pray. Revive us, O Lord. In keeping with your loving kindness. And in keeping with your ordinances. And thank you for hearing and answering. It's your way. You're the Savior. We love you for having first loved us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.